on to another episode of the Dying Sports YouTube page and podcast network. We're thrilled to announce we finally got the results in that uh, we've been teasing for the last couple of weeks. We've been encouraging everyone uh, to go out there and vote for us for sports podcast of the year for the Faces Magazine Ottawa Awards that were going on and uh, just found out that uh, our team was selected as the winner. So we officially claim the title of best sports podcast for 2021 and uh, couldn't have done it without uh, everyone here at the Dine Sports team and all the unseen hours that go into producing all of these podcast episodes and the content you see on the website and the, the YouTube series and more. So uh, not so much happy for myself, but definitely happy for the team because this is just an award to uh, recognize all of the hard work that they have been putting in. So uh, kudos to them, hats off to them. Uh, really, really happy for uh, the recognition there. Uh, today's episode, we've got two great guests coming from uh, different sort of realms of the sports world. We've got uh, up first, Tony McIntyre, who is the head coach uh, of the OSBA prep school program, Orangeville Prep. Uh, they're actually being followed for the last uh, year by a CBC documentary crew and uh, the documentary Anyone's Game, which is uh, a basketball doc that's currently airing both on CBC uh, and on CBC Gem. You can also find it online as well, too. I think uh, just about all the episodes are out now, um, but it's chronicling what life is like in a not only a prep program, but a Canadian prep program that's competing in huge events in the States, uh, what it's like just on a day-to-day -day basis being one of those high-performing athletes and more. So we've seen for years and years these uh, wild uh, programs that are going on in the States, whether it's, you know, IMG Academy or uh, some of these huge um, you know, Oak Hill programs or anything like that that have produced NBA level players. Well, similar things are going on in Canada and we're producing some very high end talent and uh, Tony and his team are the driving force behind that, both at Orangeville Prep and the uh, Athlete Institute that uh, they work with these young men uh, in inside and outside of the season all year round. So we break down what it's like to be on the inside of that uh, illustrious program and what a day in the life of a high performing athlete looks like. And then we're joined by Anthony Seed, who is the owner of Mostly Mind and Seed Culture. And he is a mental performance specialist. And we figured it would be a good time to speak with him about not only mental health and um, you know, things that athletes can be doing to take their games to the next level and coping techniques and what coaches or parents could do if they are seeing changes in their athletes. Um, given the fact that, you know, Bell Let's Talk Day was just the other day and set record-breaking numbers left, right, and center, which is phenomenal to see, but especially in the world of athletics, there's still so much uh, more work to be done, and it's probably one of the barriers that's going to be a little bit harder just because of the, let's say, old-school mentality of suck it up, you know, rub some dirt on it, um, you know, unless it's a, a cast or a broken bone or some sort of physical ailment that people can see that uh, you should be able to get out there and produce at the highest levels. And that's just not the case. So uh, we break down again, you know, what goes into uh, building up athletes and making some mentally resilient young men and women to uh, compete at the highest levels and further their careers as well too. So great episode. Uh, we've just launched as well to our Dines Press Box website. So for those that I've been following us on social media. All of our social media handles are all at Dine Sports. If you haven't started following us, give us a follow. 
uh, as well now too, so that you can keep up to date. But for those that have been following us, you probably have seen us teasing this for a while. As of February 1st, the website is now live. It is going to have a blend of everything from podcasts to full form interviews, articles, uh, special guest pieces from athletes themselves, whether they're current or former high performance athletes at the university level or semi-pro or even professional ranks as well too. And uh, some really, really interesting reads out there. I really think you'll like it. I can't encourage you enough to go and check it out. It's dinespressbox.com. It'll have all of our podcasts as well as our contributors and podcast network up there, videos and more. So check that out today. That's enough talking from me to get started. Let's get into this. Up first, we've got head coach of Orangeville Prep, Tony McIntyre. All right. And joining us today for the Dine Sports Podcast, we've got Tony McIntyre, who is currently starring in Anyone's Game, the documentary on CBC. He's also the head coach at Orangeville Prep, and he's the director at the Athlete Institute. Tony, thanks very much for joining us today. No, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Looking forward to it. So, I mean, you have been involved in basketball for a very, very long time and uh, at, at a variety of levels and whatnot. So obviously this last year has probably been a pretty weird year for you, not spending most of your waking hours on a basketball court. What, what have you been filling your time with lately? We've, uh, we've actually, you know, it, it absolutely has been a different year, um, but we've been able to really, uh, you know, lock in on individual development and you know we brought our guides in, in into a bubble here uh, we're fortunate enough to have our own facilities and our own dorms uh, on site so we've been able to COVID test everybody and we've been bubbling uh, in here since August so end of August September October November we let the guys go home for December uh, then we COVID tested everybody and brought them back and we've been uh really just locking in on individual performance, uh, being able to break down everyone's game without having to worry about, you know, game prep. Um, it, it's been a, a really good year in, in terms of, you know, refocusing and recalibrating and, and getting our guys a lot better on the stuff that you might tend to overlook uh, if, if you're playing a lot of games. And, you know, for those that are listening right now who might not even be familiar with, you know, what the OSBA is or even what a prep program is, what are some of the differences between the leagues that you guys are in and the things that you do versus, say, a traditional high school basketball program? Uh, I think the, the biggest difference is really is, um, you know, the amount of training that we put in. Um, you know, we, we go 6 a.m. Uh, individuals. Uh, 6.45, we have lifts uh, in two different groups, one at 6.45 and one at uh, 7, 7.15. Um, and then we, uh, we also have our after-school um, program, which we do our team practices. Uh, and then we have our mandatory study halls. So I think it's just the, the amount of emphasis that we have on both the academics and the athletics and, and splitting that up. Uh, and then the schedule that we put together, we, we play, you know, generally somewhere between 30 and 40 games in the U.S. Uh, and somewhere between 20 and 30 in Canada. So it's just the quantity of games, the caliber of games and, and the location of the games, I think, are the, the biggest differences between, you know, what a normal high school does and, and what our prep program does. Yeah. And you mentioned it already that you guys do go down to some fairly high profile events down in the U.S. there as well, too. What are some of the sort of bigger 
name events or, or circuits or whatever that you guys would take part in south of the border? Um, so the, some of the bigger ones, obviously, were in the, uh, the grind session, uh, which is uh, one of the bigger, I would say, leagues in the U.S., um, which has teams from all over uh, the U.S. Um, we were the first team ever from Canada in it. Uh, very high level prep, prep school competition uh, that takes place, like I said, over the course of weekends in several different states throughout the year. Um, we go to Hoop Hall, which is uh, at the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield. Um, we do the National Prep School Invitational in Rhode Island. Uh, we've been in the Bojangles. Um, we've been down to City of Palms. Um, so we, we really try to spread it around and get a good variety uh, in, in terms of our schedule every year. So obviously with all of these travels and leagues and everything that your guys are taking part in with three different programs there, you've got, you know, Orangeville prep, you've got the athlete Institute red, you've got the athlete Institute black. Are, are they all playing similar schedules or is, you know, one program sort of a feeder team for the other, or how, how do you guys sort of differentiate um, between the, the three teams that you guys are ultimately overseeing there? Um, so in the, in the past, cause we've actually switched up what we're doing this year due to COVID and we're only just down to the Orangeville prep team. Mm -hmm. Um, but in the past, what we did is all three played in the OSBA. Uh, and then we judged based on the talent levels of the teams, what other tournaments they would do. Mm -hmm. uh, so they, you know, we did a tournament in Detroit with them or in Michigan, sorry, with both, uh, red and black. Um, and then we did five, uh, Canadian tournaments as well. So it was more of the younger guys um, that would play on those teams and guys that, uh, you know, would typically be, be youth sport and, and CIS guys uh, or OCAA type of guys. Um, and so we would gear those tournaments accordingly. And then um, we'd also use it from a development standpoint for, for guys that were younger to, you know, get a lot of playing time and, and then be able to move to the Orangeville prep team uh, in the subsequent years as well. Mm -hmm. So at what point did the idea for a documentary to actually follow you guys around for a, a full season, at what point did that sort of come into play for you guys? Um, it, it really kind of started back. Uh, one of the producers on the show, Kyle McCutcheon, um, was, was a young aspiring kind of videographer um, back in 2013, 2014, um, and would come out and make these little short um, I'm going to call them pregame intro videos mm -hmm. um, and, and just little snippets uh, for us from our games and stuff and would travel with us and make kind of mixtapes and stuff. So it was always his intention to be able to tell the story of Orangeville prep and what we're doing up here. And, and it really came into light, um, you know, when he came back to us and said, Hey, listen, you know, CBC's interested and we got uh, some, some really good people behind it in, in terms of, the Sussman family, Peter Sussman, and, um, you know, obviously Schitt's Creek did really well. So there was some really good connections with the people that were working on Schitt's Creek, um, the television show and renting our hotel where it was filmed. Uh, so it was just kind of a natural progression right into the fact that, you know, we were doing something that was pretty unique and, and we've had, you know, pretty good success over the, the course of, you know, 2012 to, to today. So I think it, you know, it was always in the back of our mind, we wanted to tell that story and then to be able to tell it in a six part um, TV show was, was pretty cool. 
um, frustrating at times, but but really cool when you see it uh, edited and completed out. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And, you know, for those that are sort of plugged into the Canadian basketball landscape, they're sort of aware of everything you guys are doing at Orangeville Prep and um, even sort of the ties for the Rosebud Motel and, uh, you know, the, the dorms and all of that there. But for those that are listening that might not know that, um, tell us a little bit about how, you know, this TV series ultimately ended up getting filmed at the hotel that you guys had been using for so long. Um, so basically we had, um, you know, started our prep school and needed a, a place for all of our guys to stay. So the, the family that, that owns Athlete Institute purchased uh, a motel um, on Hockley Road, which isn't very far from here. Uh, and when they purchased it, uh, it, was, it was a location that had been targeted for, um, I guess, Film Canada as a, a potential place to film movies or shows or things like that and had been used in the past. Um, we didn't, I mean, I didn't know that when, you know, everyone was living there. Uh, but, you know, shortly after that, um, you know, the TV show Shit's Creek approached and wanted to film. Uh, so they rented out uh, our property out there from June and July each year and filmed the show and, and did that for each of the seasons. And while they were doing that, we'd move into, you know, the Best Western uh, for the month. Uh, to allow them to film and, and inevitably, uh, you know, Schitt's Creek was filmed at the Rosebud Motel, which was the Orangeville Prep and Athlete Institute dorms, um, which was, you know, small world. And, you know, when you when you see the hotel room on TV, that was actually Jamal Murray and Kyle Alexander's uh, dorm room they were filming in. So pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, for your side of things, uh, as far as the documentary went there, uh, how long did it take for you to sort of get used to having the cameras around and sort of following you there? Was it pretty quick transition or were you still mid-season and you, you, you still almost forgot uh, that people were following you around with a, a camera in your face? Um, I think it was, it was pretty quick uh, because they were so... Um, basketball minded I think you know the first couple of practices were really awkward because you know they didn't know what we were doing or how we transitioned up and down the court or where they could stand and how they could get you know the shots they need without impacting what we need to be able to practice so I think you know the first couple of practices were were very awkward in in terms of like a cameraman that ends up in the middle of your drill or you know the the mic guy you know trying to get the microphone in to listen to what you're saying and bumping you in the head with it and, and things like that. So it was a little awkward at the beginning. And then as they figured out kind of how they fit in and how we fit in, um, it became evident that one of the producers, Michael Hamilton, uh, who's a huge basketball guy, really just, you know, I'm going to say he absorbed himself right into our team in, in terms of like, you know, kind of on the bench for games, you know, behind the bench, uh, in the locker room, in pregame and, you know, he was a, a, a ex-college basketball player himself. And, and so I think for him, it was trying to really tell the story of what's really, truly happening, whether it's good or bad and, and being entrenched in it um, allowed for all of our players and myself to kind of trust him. I think anytime you have a camera crew with you everywhere and everything is recorded and everything's on film, there's a trust factor of what you can and can't talk about um, and, and then just understanding, too, of what you can and can't talk about that are personal things um, with these young men that, that could affect them 
whether it be, you know, grades in school or a problem they're having with a teacher and, and things like that, where it's like, you know, you, you just got to understand, hey, we got cameras around and, you know, we're, we're going to put this all on on here. But, you know, you know, I'm going to say 99.9% .9 of everything was filmed. And there was probably one or two things that we'd say, hey, you know, stop, stop the film. And, mm -hmm. and you know, and one of those was, you know, a, a personal situation with someone in, in one of the kids' families who passed away and we got the phone call while we were on the road. And, you know, I just didn't feel comfortable having that play out on camera and catching the reaction of that and things like that. Like, I, I really was kind of protective in, in the invasion of their privacy on, on those types of things. Yeah, yeah. What, what's it been like for you as a coach being able to actually sort of relive this season and, you know, sort of see things that happened where maybe you weren't even in the room when they happened or did, does it give you some perspective as far as, oh, okay, th this is now makes sense to me why this player reacted this way or whatever. Can you speak to that a little bit as far as almost being a, a fly on the wall throughout this process and being able to see it play out on a national TV screen now? Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it definitely gives you a different perspective. I've honestly watched it probably close to 10 times now. Mm -hmm. um, just because we, you know, we watched it. I watched it online with, with a couple of our players from last year because they're in the States. And then we watched it with our team here. And then I watched it when it actually came out with my family. So it's, you know, in different environments, but I get to see something different every time I watch it. And, um, you know, my initial reaction, I watched it with my wife and I said, you know, this is pretty crazy when you really think about how this is going to be, because this is something that, you know, when, when these kids get older, they're going to be able to show their kids like, Hey, look how good I was at basketball of which most kids never believe their parents are any good at anything until, <laughs> so they're going to have, you know, online proof of that, but they're also going to show that, Hey, I was also in a TV show while all this was playing out. So I think it's, it's cool that it's a real life you know, TV show that shows, you know, how good they were and what they went through and, and was, is going to be a good, you know, teaching and talking point when the time's right for each of these young men, for me, seeing the things play out, um, you know, I, I think for the most part, I mean, I'm so close with my guys and we spent so much time on the road. We literally did 27,000 kilometers, uh, on, on the road last year, physical driving. Um, so I, I literally, you know, with the exception of probably 11 p.m. to, you know, six or seven in the morning, I, I'm with them almost all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so there wasn't really anything that played out that I didn't know about and and or that they come and tell me about. And, and you know, we, we talk openly and honestly. And so I, I think it, it, it's really neat that it played out. I think, uh, you know, there's there's points where I think people don't understand why we're doing what we're doing and, and some of the feedback I got was like do you, you know do you think you're setting up the kids for failure if they don't make it no I think I'm setting them up for the future no matter what they go into whether it be basketball or the competitive world of business or the competitive world of even getting accepted you know like like the rest of the world that has to go through applications for universities and go through that competitive field of getting grades and it's it's just a dis different discipline that these kids are going through and it's playing out in a tv show yeah 
what what has the player reaction been like as far as them being able to see themselves up there on the big screen there have they been pretty excited for the most part or yeah i think uh the the fortunate and unfortunate part is you know the fortunate part is you know all those guys that you saw with the exception of jalik and uh, mustafa are are gone away to um college in the states mm -hmm. um so that's the fortunate part. The unfortunate part is, you know, we just all couldn't be together to watch it and, and see what those reactions were. But, you know, I've been on the phone with each of them and talking to them and texting and, you know, you, you see their online involvement of reposting it. And, you know, we're not asking them to do it and they want to do it because they're, they're also proud of, of how it turned out and what it looks like and, and being a part of, of the team that they were a part of last year. Yeah. Now, obviously, your programs have had a great deal of success, not only at the high school level, but also in graduating players to NCAA, U Sport, NBA ranks, beyond. You know, what is it that your program does, maybe not so much better than others, but what is it that you guys do differently that has allowed you guys to have such success at the highest levels? I, I think it's, it's, it's a commitment. I think it's, it's the ownership here, the staff here, uh, our coaches, um, and then, and then ultimately the commitment and buy-in of, of each of the players of understanding. I think one of the things that we do really well is, is figuring out what each of the kids does really well and what they don't do very well and, and really maximizing what they do do well and minimizing what they don't do well while we still keep that in mind and, and focus on the stuff that they need to improve on in, in those morning workouts, in the afternoon workouts. It's, it's really, um, you know, trying to get people to buy into what they're going to have to do at the next level and showing them by, you know, sitting down, whether it be going through synergy game film, watching college games with them. Um, you know, they're, they're trying to perfect a craft. They're trying to do something that ultimately will get them a free education and, and maybe one day be able to pay bills. And, and so being able to talk from, experience being able to have our alumni talk to them and being able to present a, a clear path paveway of a, of a highway and, and show them that if you just stay on this there's success at the end of it and you know sometimes it takes a little bit longer uh, the younger kids uh, and, and in today's uh, world uh, you know there's instant gratification is what everyone's searching for but um, you know that that instant gratification in, in our opinion here has to come through hard work dedication sometimes waiting your turn because they're seniors and understanding what the process is and 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 ultimately what you'll get up out of it and then just being truthful with each and every one of them of where we think they could play what their level is and then trying to help um you know get them looks at the levels where they'll be successful mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean if, if you go back 15, 20 years, whatever now, it, it used to be pretty much, you know, Steve Nash and Jamal Magor against the world as far as Canadians in the NBA. Now, fast forward to today, you've got record numbers of Canadians in the NCAA, you've got record number of Canadians in uh, the NBA, and even just playing at the professional levels, whether it's the CEBL or overseas or whatever, you know, what do you think it is that's maybe changed in the last 10 years or so in Canadian basketball that we are now seeing all these records getting set at the NCAA, WNBA, NBA, and, and whatnot for kids making that jump to the next level? 
I think it's it's a, a series of a lot of things to be truthful. I think um, it, it's, you go all the way back, you know, 10, 12 years ago, kids used to play multiple sports. Um, you know, they play basketball in the winter, they play soccer in the summer. They, 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 you know, they, they didn't really train all year round. They didn't focus in on one particular sport. And I think that's an impact to it. I think, Obviously, the impact of shoe companies coming in and, and, and believing in Canadian programs and putting them on the biggest stages in the U.S. Uh, really helped with recruiting. I think the, the belief and the ability, and everyone says this Vince Carter effect. I do believe there is, is a certain aspect to the Vince Carter effect, but I think it hits even more home when you have a kid that grew up in the same gym as you now telling you you can make it versus you know, a Vince Carter that grew up in Florida that's telling you you can make it. Uh, you watched the guy that was in your gym play out his high school career, his college career, and now he's in the NBA telling you, hey, just just do these things. And, you know, I got to where I'm going because I listened and I did and made the right decisions. You guys just have to do it. And it's fun watching the alumni come back and even the older guys that are older than the guys that have made it saying like, man, you guys don't understand how much easier you have it now with those role models, with those, you know, peers that, that, you know, are more accessible. Um, they're coming back running camps in the community. They're, they're promoting Canada basketball abroad. And, and I think, you know, with all that being said, it's really helped that magnifying glass, not just be a magnifying glass. Now it's, it's, it's an aquarium. There's, there's a huge window um, that's on Canada now before it was, eyes through the microscope of finding the one or two, the McGlores, the Nashes, um, you know, the, the, those players that, that were from back in the day. And, and I think now it's, it's, it's a question of like, Hey, we know they're up here. Let's go get them now. Not let's find them. Let's discover them. It's they're there. Let's go get our pick of who we want and what, what's a good fit. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously we've come a long way, just in, even in the last 10 years or so, but what, what's maybe one thing or two things that stick out to you that whether it's Basketball Canada or just even at a local level um, that we need to be doing a better job of to continue to grow the sport and continue to provide the athletes with every opportunity possible? I, I think it's going to come down to two things. I think um, the level of play has definitely rise, uh, risen in Canada and, and there's a rise of um, you know, programs and, you know, everybody has a program now and everybody has a trainer. And I, I think what's lost in the mix right now is, is the level of coaching. And, and I think what, what Canada needs and, and what we got to do is really get into our ability to create younger, motivated coaches. I think, you know, in the last five to seven years and probably even sooner, you know, three to five years, the, the trainer trend has really taken over where, guys that are coming back into the game that may have played or guys that want to impact the game are all trainers. Now they're not coaches. And I think it's, you know, there, there's financial resources in training and there's limited financial resources in coaching. Um, there's a lot of expectations from parents on coaches that are volunteers and those same expectations aren't on trainers. And I think, you know, nothing against trainers. I think there's a lot of great ones and then there's ones that are just doing it. Um, you know, but I think we need to have a, a database or infrastructure, a training program, something where we start to make coaching cool and, and get the younger coaches into the game. And that's what's going to make this thing sustainable. Uh, guys that are 
you know, coaching and teaching the game the right way. Guys that are teaching the team way to play because too many guys that even we get here, you know, they could dribble the ball. You could dribble two balls. You could sit there and make, you know, four or five threes if you get them in repetition, but you can't hit it in transition. You can't hit it on a pitch out. Um, you know, you can only dribble one ball during a game. It, it's just a lot of these skills, there's a lot of trainers that are teaching it the right way. And there's a lot that are making players very individualistic. That isn't reality to how they're going to play this game at the next level, whether it be, you know, at U-Sport, um, OCAA or the NCAA, they got to learn to fit in and be a part of a team and understand how to make reads. And, and it's not all one-on-one -on -one stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Tony, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. For those that are listening right now, though, where can they find either more information about yourself or the Orangeville Prep programs, or where can they even tune in to see the Anyone's Game documentary? Uh, Anyone's Game documentary, um, I think the last two episodes, uh, episode five and six, is on CBC uh, tonight. Well, tonight, which is Friday, which is probably, you know, delayed, but... Um, It'll be at 8.30 tonight, or they could go on CBC Gem and watch all um, six episodes, stream those back-to-back. -back. Um, to follow Orangeville Prep, um, you know, we have athleteinstitute.ca. We have gobears.ca, which is our website up here. Uh, we have YouTube um, uh, at gobears as well on YouTube. Uh, you can type in Orangeville Prep on YouTube and see, you know, past games and things like that, and, and then my Instagram uh, is Coach Tony Mack, um, and you can follow on IG uh, uh, or on Twitter. Amazing, amazing. Well, hopefully this uh, pandemic is slowly becoming a thing of the past and you guys can actually get back to some in-game competition and whatnot. But for now, we wish you guys all the best. And uh, with whatever the season upcoming looks like this summer, hopefully you guys are back out there sooner rather than later. I appreciate that. And I, I hope the same and hopefully, uh, you know, everyone's staying safe and we can get back to competing and, and get these kids back on, on the courts around uh, the province, the country and, and throughout North America real soon. All right, before we get to Anthony Seed, wanted to take a quick break to continue our series highlighting local businesses that have been affected by obviously COVID-19 and the pandemic and all the lockdowns and super fun restrictions that have come with that. And these people need our support more than ever because it's super important to support local and make sure you can make a concerted effort to try and purchase things from the local small businesses within our communities because uh, it's been tough and it's been especially tough on small businesses. So wanted to really quickly talk to you guys about Dairy Distillery. So Dairy Distillery is the home of Vodka Vodka, which is produced from unused milk sugars. So interesting way to uh, create the booze there for sure. Uh, they recently just created a new product as well too. It's called Vodka Cream. It's available at all LCBO store shelves. So you can head down and grab that hopefully at a time that doesn't have lineups around the corner there for you. Uh, they use fresh lactose-free Ontario cream blended with vodka and sugar to create a wonderful expression of what a cream liqueur should be. You can get more info over at vodka.com to see their full line of products. We've also got some other stuff up there as well as hand sanitizers as well. That was one of the pivots they made uh, when the lockdowns first started happening as well too. So you can check them out at vodka.com or if you want to learn more about the business as a whole, dairydistillery.com as well too. Check them out today.
All right. And sitting down with us today on the Dine Sports Podcast, we have Anthony Seed, who is the Director of Sales at Dairy Distillery. But what we're really talking about today is some of his other businesses, which are Seed Culture and Mostly Mind, which are mental performance specialists and working with organizations to sort of take their performance to the next level. Anthony, thanks very much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to uh, connect with a real live person for change. And, <laughs> you know, it's actually sit down and, and chat with somebody who's not uh, doing virtual schooling. So that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. We were just chatting uh, off air there. You know, your, your kids have still been going to school a little bit because you're in a different part uh, of town, but uh, mine are finally going back on Monday. And God, it... Uh, I, I love having them home, but I'll, I'll definitely enjoy sending them back for sure. It's a thing of beauty. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. So, I mean, right off the top, why don't you just give us like a, a Coles Notes version of what even are sort of the, the mental performance aspects that your two companies sort of address? Sure thing. Well, so I have them split because they're very distinct entities, right? So Seed Culture focuses specifically on businesses or the corporate world. And we do something called choice architecture. And what choice architecture means is designing an environment for your employees that uh, elicits certain behaviors, right? So if a company wants employees to act a certain way, uh, you, you don't just say, hey, go do this because we both have kids. As you know, when you tell someone to do something, um, you know, like a direct order, it, you tend to get your back up and oh, maybe I don't wanna do that. <laughs> But when you design a, an environment that uh, helps an employee feel like they're involved and they're a part of it, but they are you know, choosing to act a certain way, it, this is all done by like, on purpose, right? So you're designing a, and setting up a system that just enforces you know, employees to act and behave in a, a certain manner. So mm -hmm. that's the one side of it. And the second side is, which is mostly mind, is performance optimization. So it, you know, it's a bit similar because we're talking about behavior and we're talking about uh, acting and performing in a certain way, except this is more individual and team-based and is focused on sports and has to do with, um, like the name suggests, optimizing strategy, goal setting, and then different kind of tips and tricks for when you have, you know, things like performance anxiety and, you know, how do you get into the zone and get into the next level uh, when you need to compete. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the timing's everything. Obviously, when we were talking about bringing you on, we wanted to try and line it up somewhere around Bell Let's Talk Day, which just happened yep. the other day. You know, they, they're announcing record participation numbers this year, which is probably no surprise to anyone, <laughs> given the fact that everyone's sitting at home right now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, over $7 million raised for mental health initiatives there. But, I mean, what, what are some of the real common mistakes or maybe even pitfalls that you see with teams or sports organizations as far as them trying to establish that positive team culture and maybe coming up a little bit short? Well, they usually don't know, uh, it's usually competing messages, right? So, you know, you say, hey, I wanna develop a team culture. What exactly is that? Is it clearly defined? Most times it's not, mm -hmm. um, you know, and to set up a, a team culture, it would have to start from the ownership all the way down. Right. Mm -hmm. So you got to have consistent messaging from the owner to the general manager, to the coaches, to the staff. Usually along there, there's a break somewhere and the messaging isn't, you know, pushed all the way down. Or in right? the so, senator's case, it's broken <laughs> several levels there. <laughs> broken several levels. Yes. Yeah. So uh, so that is a, as a really common one. Um, you know, your leadership group 
oftentimes isn't qualified. And when you think of leadership group, think of actual players, uh, you know, that is, you know, your, your team captain, if you're in hockey or, you know, if you're football, you know, your leader on offense, leader on defense, you know, maybe they're not the exact type of person that can help others and, and bring them along. Uh, and then even though this is, we're talking about sports, you're talking about results because it's results oriented business. Uh, the emphasis still has to be on performance, right? And you can't control results, right? You can't, um, you know, you, you can't control what another team is going to do. You can't control what a referee is going to do. You can't control the weather. You can't control any of that. All you can control is performance, but because it's a professional organization, you have fans, you always want to talk about results. So when you go re to results focused, you lose the performance aspect, right? That really affects uh, the culture. Yeah. Because right? then, it, then it's just based on wins and losses. You live and die on wins and losses. And, you know, it, it doesn't matter how much goodwill you've, you've built up, you're going to have issues. No. Yeah. In, in your experience, what are some of the things that, you know, maybe some of the more successful organizations or teams have? in place versus some of the teams who struggle with that leadership gap there. Are there, are there some common traits that you see pop up time and time again? Yeah, and it's it's uh, constant communication. Uh, it's very clear defined roles. Like if you look at, uh, let's say New England Patriots, Patriots, sorry, uh, <laughs> Montreal Canadiens, uh, any storied franchise that has won multiple championships, uh, they're very clear on what it means to be a Montreal Canadian or a New England Patriot, right? It's very, very clear. It's, you know, it's on the wall in their team facilities. It's on the wall in their practice facilities. It's talked about it by the coaches. It's talked about it by the players. Uh, you know exactly what's expected of you, right? Mm -hmm. So you, that consistency and that clarity, I mean, that really, really helps because uh, we all like systems, you know, whether we want to admit it or not, we all like rules. It helps mm -hmm. keep us in check. Uh, but most importantly, we all like it when we know what's expected of us, right? And when you don't have that causes issues, uh, the franchises that consistently win or are competitive over and over again, they have all that in place, right? So that, and it, it sounds really simple when I'm, I'm just saying, hey, be clear and consistent, uh, but it's amazing in large organizations how that gets lost. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, you know, we were just talking about, about Let's Talk Day the other moment and you know it seems like we're slowly starting to turn a corner as far as mental health and people realizing that you know just because you can't see it visibly like a broken arm or something doesn't mean that someone isn't suffering right exactly. but for sports in particular you know it, it really seems to be going much more slower maybe lagging behind sort of your your day-to-day -day normal person there why do you think it is so hard for athletes in particular to show that vulnerability or ask for help or you know be weak in front of their teammates there well i you know there's various reasons but i think one of the main ones is that you know you're taught as an athlete to exploit weakness of your opponent mm -hmm. right so unfortunately um mental health uh issues are still seen as a weakness right and and so we have to kind of change that thinking on it, it's not something necessarily that you can exploit. I mean, you can in a, a, a certain way, but um, but we have to look at it as not being a weakness, right? So you wouldn't say to somebody who has cancer that, hey, that's a, a weakness on, on you because you have cancer. You, you can't control that, right? So 
uh, you know, if you have mental, mental health issues or mental struggles, I mean, it, it's, it's not a weakness, it's an illness, all right? Or it's a, um, you know, something that, that, you, that you can work on, that we all can work on. Uh, so it's still, you have to kind of get that messaging away from it being a weakness for one. Um, and then in terms of professional athletes in particular, there's so many eyeballs on them, right? And there's so much expected of them. Uh, that's the last thing that they want to talk about. Mm -hmm. right, that's the last thing that, that you want to say, okay, you know, I'm having struggles, right? So it, that's why it's so uh, celebrated when, when people open up or when players in particular open up, um, you know, because, you know, we're all fans, right? And you, you look at players as indestructible sometimes. Um, I think of last year when Bobby Ryan went through his struggles, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, the information that came out and how he dealt with it in his comeback, like that was such a, motivating story for people mm -hmm. like that and i wish i wish that would happen more often um the second part of that though is uh, a lack of understanding of emotional intelligence and how that affects your performance right so realizing that that you know mental health is important i think um players or athletes or competitors don't realize that uh, some do, of course, but emotional intelligence, which is, you know, your ability to control your emotions, uh, your ability to think the game and, and stuff is such an asset that um, it's kind of uh, often um, the attention is to it is not as, as much as it should be. Right. So, you know, that, which kind of loops into whole uh, when we're talking about mental um, mental strength and and weakness and vulnerability, it's understanding that you have emotional intelligence and that's things that means that up and down and things that you can work on. So, um, you know, it's kind of a, a, kind of a long answer to that now that I'm thinking about it, but uh, <laughs> at the, at the end of the day, there's a ton of work that needs to be done on it. It's just, I'd say at first it's just realizing that this isn't a weakness to start. So has it been more so individual athletes or teams that have been coming to you and looking for that help to address whether it is team culture or performance or just even getting a leg up on the competition? Well, um, you know, again, both, both sectors have improved, which is great. Mm -hmm. And you'll see certain teams, uh, certain leagues, uh, they'll have mental performance coaches on staff. Like uh, major league baseball is actually great at that. Most of the, um, most of the major teams, you know, like Toronto Blue Jays, Tampa, Tampa Bay Rays, the Yankees, they all have mental performance coaches. Mm -hmm. So they recognize that uh, less so in the NHL. Like mm -hmm. It's getting there, but, but not quite. But individual though, uh, they're, in my opinion, more open to it because, you know, you're not dealing with teammates, right? So you're not having to say, oh yeah, you know, I go and see a mental performance coach to help me with my game, right? So you don't have that aspect of it, which you might be a little nervous to say to someone, uh, but it's very, like you control your own destiny when you're an individual athlete and you think of, just think of the sports that they compete in and how taxing it is mentally. Like think of the, think of golf, right? And you think of the concentration that's needed uh, and the focus that's needed to be good at golf. Yeah. As someone who had many a meltdown on a golf course before <laughs> there, and oh, that was a great front nine. And then it just yeah. all comes apart on the back there. I can attest to that one for sure. <laughs> well, exactly. So you think of golf, think of like Olympic lifting, right? Think of uh, any of those sports where it's just you and yeah, you're competing against other people, 
um, you know, tennis, all that stuff. It, but it is ultimately you and you, you're just controlling your own destiny right there. When you're on a team, you can't control your own destiny, right? You control your performance, but you know, you can't really control much outside of that. So uh, I've always found that individual athletes uh, are definitely more open to it for yeah. sure. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people, when they hear of, you know, mental health, they, they jump right to the extremes, right? They think yeah. of you know, suicidal thoughts or something like that, substance abuses, all, all of that thing. But I mean, what are some of the common things that you're seeing more and more as you continue to work with athletes that people might not realize is, you know, part of the overall mental health that makes up your uh, average athlete? Well, I mean, right now it's, it's a lot of anxiety over the unknown, right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's changing routine. Like athletes love routines. Yeah. Right. And there's so much unknown. There's so much change right now. So I, I can definitely say there's a lot of anxiety around that, but uh, outside of that, it's just, you know, we all deal with self-confidence, right? Mm -hmm. And, and you think that an, uh, an elite athlete just must be full of self-confidence, right? Or, uh, but it, it's not the case. Like we all go up and down, right? We all have struggles. Uh, and so they struggle just like we do, right? With your confidence, with, um, you know, self-doubt. Uh, some will have anxiety, anxiety before competition. And the best way I can say that to people to help describe is most people don't like talking in front of public, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, hey, I hate speaking on stage, all that stuff. The nerves and the anxiety you get before you have to do a speech think of that and put that into an athlete before he or she has to perform mm -hmm. right so uh so there's that there's a lot of of um body dysmorphia issues depending on the sport you're in right so uh you know if you're in if you're in um uh, figure competitions right think of any sport where uh you need to not only perform your best but also look your best and feel your best, right? Mm -hmm. So you're gonna have you're gonna have issues there. Um, you know, substance abuse issues definitely is prevalent, and that is actually I shouldn't say prevalent. I should back that up. It's definitely something that that happens, right? Yeah. And it, it happens to everyone, but it seems to be more dramatic when it happens to professional athletes. Yeah. Right. You, so, yeah. Sorry. Go go ahead. Well, I was gonna say on, on that sort of similar vein there. You know, are you thinking, okay, uh, once this pandemic does sort of go into the rearview mirror for us here and whatever the new normal looks like, and we do actually return to competition, are you thinking that some of the spikes in anxiety and depression and all that that we are seeing now, do you see long-term that carrying over and maybe it really having an effect maybe on the first year or two of return to competition? Or do you think people will be able to get back into the swing of things sort of pre-COVID fairly seamlessly and it'll be maybe more so a couple outliers here or there. No, I think it's going to be a, a big struggle, right? Because yeah. uh, competition is just not going to be the same, just like our regular day-to-day -day life. It's not going to be the same. You know, we're going to have masks and protocols and uh, everything like this for a long time. Uh, and that's going to affect uh, the athletic world as well. So there is definitely, I think this is going to carry over. There's going to be a lot of still uncertainty and you know a lot of anxiety and a lot of having to develop new goals and new routines and new structures like i have a an athlete right now that's in italy um uh just i'm actually shocked that oh, managed to get over there but it's uh it's you know an uh, olympic hopeful uh in 
in Luge, right? Mm -hmm. So you're over in an, another country where normally you would be uh, probably a Lake Placid in, in the US, right? Practicing, you have to go to all the way over to, to Italy, you gotta mask the whole way, right? Everything has to be, you're there by yourself. Uh, everything has to be isolated. Like it, it's just a, a totally new and unknown experience and it's definitely unnerving for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. For those athletes that are struggling with whether it's you know pre-competition anxiety or just even a mental block what are some of the exercises or resources that you point them to yeah i mean obviously it's very dependent on the situation but there are a lot of things that just the average athlete can do to help prior mm -hmm. right and it, you know I, I i'm the worst at this because i should i should take my own advice but <laughs> stuff like meditation and yoga is fantastic for calming your mind and help strengthening your mind right before and helping you breathe and stay focused when you have to compete mm -hmm. um you know and concentration constant wow concentration training <laughs> that was easy for me to say uh is really important for people because you know we do have short short attention spans right uh and so a lot of people struggle with being able to really focus for long periods of time. So that's always a big one. One, one thing that I, I always recommend to any coach, um, whether pro, amateur, whatever it is, is really look at the practice environment that you have. Mm -hmm. So quite often, you know, you can, you can have these, these athletes that are amazing in practice, right? They're, you know, basketball, they're sinking three pointers all the time. No problem. Uh, and you practice that skill, that's great. And you go into a game environment, all the variables change and you can't hit those three pointers. So uh, the, one of the best things you can do is make a practice environment that um, mirrors what the game situation will be, mm -hmm. right? Or you add a bunch of really hard scenarios into your practice environment that uh, really makes it challenging on the athletes. So when they go to compete, you know, been there, done that, right? They, they've seen it, they've had that, that struggle in practice and they've been forced to feel nerves and, and, you know, it's, it's just, this a lot of cool different things that you can do. And I, I'm really big proponent on using tech as well. Uh, and, you know, there's companies out there that are doing, um, I'll, I'll name drop one called Muse, which is actually a Canadian company. And, and they, they actually help with meditation. It's a, it's a, a sensor headband. Mm -hmm. You get chirps in, in your, in your ear to help you, uh, focus on on your cues to meditate and all the information actually goes to a phone right so mm -hmm. to to an app and you can see you know how, how you're doing but the best part about that is you know you can see it but so can a trainer right or yeah. so can a coach or a player development person so there, there's there's lots of amazing things that little tips and tricks that you can do to, to help you yeah and, you know, a big part, obviously, of the mental health component is, number one, asking for help and realizing that there's a problem. But yeah. maybe for some of those people that are on a team sport, and whether they're a coach or just a teammate, you know, it, if you're in a situation where you can see that visibly a, a teammate is struggling, but they haven't, you know, reached out to you or disclosed anything yet, like, what, what sort of your advice to how to address such a personal subject, like mental health with that person? And, you know, are, are they okay? And how can you help? Yeah, well, you, you just have to start talking, right? That yeah. at, the, at the end of the day, uh, it comes down to communication, because 
you know, if you get somebody talking, right? If you recognize somebody struggling, you know, the worst thing you can do, and I always tell this, my, my kids, my kids do this too, to each other, which drives me nuts, uh, is, you know, you go over to someone and say, uh, don't be upset or don't worry about it. Or, you know, there's nothing to worry about. Well, obviously there's something to worry about because they're upset, yeah. right? So that kind of stuff doesn't help, but actually just getting down to their level and talking, mm -hmm. uh, you know what, it, it, it could be, hey, there's something going on uh, at home, right? Something going on with the wife and kids and that's why they're upset uh, or they're not performing well or they have a bit of a, a performance block or maybe, you know, players are very superstitious, right? Maybe it's, it's something as simple as, you know, I'm, I'm trying a new set of gloves and I just, I, it's just not working for me, mm -hmm. right? So uh, at the end of the day, it just comes down to actually talking with someone and not going in and going, hey, what's wrong, right? Just actually talking, human level, normal conversation, being open. Uh, and then that person will reach out when they're, when they're, actual, when they're actually ready, right? Yeah. Is there maybe an overemphasis then on, on the physical training and physical practices that we're doing and an underemphasis on developing the athlete as a whole and doing some of those mental preparation exercises and whatnot? Yeah, I mean, and it, it, it's starting to catch up, uh, but, you know, performance, uh, your actual, you know, physical attributes always kind of stand out first. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the, at the end of the day, you know, what tells your body to do the things you need it to do? It's, it's your brain, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what makes, you know, elite athletes elite, it's their ability to process information quicker than everyone else. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but, you know, you have, if we are looking at hockey, you think of, you know, Connor McDavid and the plays he makes at such a high rate of speed, he's able to take in data and turn it into action way faster than we can. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, that is, that's, that's your mind, right? That's, information coming in, your mind processing it, and you're doing the action, Yeah. right? So he can't do that without, without a strong uh, mental base. And we can think back, there's so many examples, so many athletes uh, that you can look back and go, you know, he or she had all the tools, like an athletic freak, but never made it to the big leagues mm -hmm. or never stuck more than a game or two or a season. And nobody understands why, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, or, or if you're, and again, we're, we're hockey fans, right? So if you're like, well, this, this player has all these skills, but it doesn't have any hockey sense, yeah. right? So what is hockey sense? Well, it's your, again, your mental ability to process, mm -hmm. okay? And, and so we look on that and uh, something that's neat in, in hockey is that we have a lot more statistics coming into uh, player decisions, right? So we look at an analytics and we look and, and go, okay, Let's take uh, situational equations. Uh, let, let's look at math. Let's see, you know, what happens when a player's on ice and all this stuff in terms of emotions, right? To players and coaches, mm -hmm. right? So um, uh, emotions within games, you can actually map out uh, situations and then what a coach decides to do. And you can actually predict uh, what a coach will do given a certain situation. Mm -hmm. And same thing with a player, uh, right? So you can map out all this stuff. Uh, it's just, we're kind of at the tip of the iceberg, I think. Mm -hmm. And you'll start to see mental, uh, someone's mental abilities uh, be talked about more and more and start to catch up to the physical component of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're, 
talking in generalities here, let's say you're a coach that's been working with a high performance team and you've never had sort of any mental components to it, but you're interested and you want to start integrating it into your season. What are some baby steps as far as, you know, obviously you want to walk before you can run. What are some basic level things that you can start implementing that do have a tangible effect on athletic performance? Well, I'd split this up between pro and amateur. So yeah. if, if you're looking at pro, um, these are things you, you would think that teams would automatically think of, but they don't, mm-hmm. right? So let's look at players that you want to draft to bring into your team, okay? So realize how they learn, right? We all learn it in different ways, visual, um, or auditory, or kinesthetic. There's different ways in which, which you learn. So understand how they learn, first of all. Uh, and all this stuff you can do, there's actually a, a NHL team in the Eastern Conference that's doing this, that um, players that they, that, well, not players, sorry, prospects that they're thinking of drafting, mm-hmm. they will send out a questionnaire to them, mm-hmm. right? And the player will answer questions online. Their sports psychologist will look at it and they'll get a sense of what the player, what their makeup is. So when they get a chance to actually interview the player, they know exactly what, they're, what, they're, what they need to ask. Uh, so it's just finding as much information as you can first, right? What is their makeup? Are they a natural born leader? Are they, do they understand roles? Um, and analyze their emotional intelligence. You can quantify their character. You can quantify their grit because mm-hmm. uh, we all love those words, right? Yeah. And realize what type of person you have, like person, before you draft them, mm-hmm. right? And we've all heard about uh, people that have, or players that have tons of skill, but um, you know, no heart, or potentially have off-ice issues, mm-hmm. and your team's taking a pass on them, other teams drafting them, right? Uh, you can only, that only works by drafting that player if you have uh, proper makeup of your team in the first place, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's understanding how everything kind of binds together, right? You can't draft, for instance, uh, 25, natural born leaders because that is going to be an issue on on your team right you need people that can lead you need people that can follow you need people that understand different roles right it's a whole big makeup that you have to kind of combine and then if you're you know on the amateur side of things uh the biggest thing you can do is set clear goals right Mm -hmm. clear goals uh actions clear rules and what the structure is simple things like that really help people or players understand what they need to do right mm-hmm. uh, that combined with an openness on communication um, an emphasis on development as a person you know really makes it a lot easier um, just in helping develop a team for success yeah i, I want to circle back to one thing you did say there though and that's you're able to quantify grit and when i was yeah. reading on your website there uh, that was something that you sort of said that you know what most people think isn't quantifiable. Well, actually there are ways that you can, you know, so yeah. what are some of the tools that you would use to quantify things like grit, heart, all those other things you were alluding to? Yeah. So there, there are a few different things you can do and, um, you know, combine together, they'll, they'll paint a picture, right? So mm-hmm. one of the first things you'll do is you'll send out uh, situational based questions. Mm-hmm. You know, how would you act in this situation? What do you do if this happens? Um, and, they're, they're not sports-based. They're actually off-the-wall type questions, right? Mm-hmm. If you 
you're in a casino and you won a million dollars, you know, what, what would you do, right? So you have really weird questions, which is uh, uh, specifically intended that way to catch people off guard mm -hmm. because uh, players are, are coached by agents yeah. how to answer proper, you know, how to answer properly, right? So you need to break outside that and you need to ask them odd questions. So that's the first start and you get to see their answers. And as you see their answers, you get a, a it's actually pretty neat. You get a clear sense of, you know, what the makeup of this person is. Mm -hmm. Will they fold under pressure? It doesn't tell you the whole story, but it gives you kind of a, a hint of it, right? So there's no universal kind of uh, scoring for this. So it's very, it's up to uh, how each team would score it. Mm -hmm. But you can still get a, a score just based on, the, on those questions of, does this person uh, have good character? You know, do they have a lot of heart? Are they going to fold when the game's on the line? Mm -hmm. Right. So that's the first one. Uh, you would ideally, if, if you have the resources, combine it with, you know, your scouts out there watching somebody, you know, we all watch how they play, but you need to watch the body when they're not playing. Right. So there's, you know, they're sitting on the bench or they're sitting with their teammates. How are they interacting? Right. What is their, what does their body tell you? Like, as you know, we can all lie and kids are taught to lie, but your body doesn't. Mm -hmm. Right, so you can lie with with your words, but your face uh, doesn't lie, <laughs> right? And and your body, your posture, and your positioning doesn't lie. So you get a, a sense of you know when this player is not playing, are they interactive? Are they talking to teammates, or are they slouching? Are they mm -hmm. are they sulking? Right? Are they uh, not being engaged? And that's another piece of it. And then you look into their their past. You look into you know, decisions they've made. Unfortunately, you know, our lives are all laid out before us on, on social media. We've left digital trails of everything we've done, mm -hmm. you know, for the past decade. It's really easy to find. Uh, you look through and how do they answer their questions, right? Like, uh, what are they engaging in? What groups are they following? And when you put all those together, you get a clear sense of what a person is. Like, mm -hmm. you can have a very clear sense of you know exactly what the character is of this person right it's like um the rangers defenseman um tony d'angelo thank you thank you <laughs> right it would have been really easy and lots of teams all, all already knew like he, he had issues in, in junior yeah but it would have been really easy to look through his social media to ask him those questions you wouldn't have known exactly the rangers the rangers would have known exactly what they were getting yeah if they had done all that and were they still drafted him? I'm not sure. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, you can, it's, it's pretty compelling. Like you can really piece together a full emotional makeup of someone just yeah. based on all that information. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Well, you, you know what? Thank you so much for joining us there, Anthony. And, you know, the, like we were saying, timing couldn't be better. Mental health yes. is so important and, and, being able to address it and realize that it is an important part of athletics as well too is so vital for coaches out there and parents and athletes themselves to be aware of. So for those that are you know curious about you and, or your companies or want to get in touch with you, where are the best places they can find you or get more info? Yeah, you know the best thing to do is connect with me on social media, whether it's on um, you know Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, you know, connect on one of my uh, Facebook pages. Mm -hmm. uh, or obviously go to uh, go to a mostly mine website and and check it out. Uh, I'm always uh, always around to answer questions. So. 
Amazing. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us and uh, all the best to you in uh, whatever the heck the COVID <laughs> world has in store for us the next couple of weeks. There. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And that'll do it for another episode of the Dying Sports YouTube page and podcast network. As always, a huge thank you goes out to both of our guests today, Anthony Seed and Tony McIntyre, for walking us through what it's like creating a high-performing team on and off the court, what goes into positive mental health, what coaches can do to help impact their athletes, and more. Like we were saying at the top of the show, if you like what you hear, like, comment, share, subscribe. Let's continue to grow this community we've got going here. Uh, we've got some big announcements coming up in the coming days as well, too, as far as new content creators and people joining our network here. But uh, for those that haven't, we have launched the Dines Press Box. So head over to dinespressbox.com. You can check out and get a sneak peek on some of the cool things we have going up. We'll be uploading regular content there as well too, breaking down everything you need to know in the world of sports. So be sure to check that out today. Till next time, everyone stay safe and we'll have our big Super Bowl preview episode coming up later this week. Take care, everyone. Thank you.